You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. It's been in this position for about 2,000 years. Now, if you go back 4,000 years to the Roman era on vases, you would have seen it looking like this. That's its original position. It has several significances. So what would happen is that the troop leaders would meet after battle or training, and they're always men, so this has remained a male activity until recent times. When they would meet, they would do this. If his arm was stronger, it would go something like this, and you'd all say, he's got the upper hand. Upper hand is an ancient Roman expression. Now, if he's got the upper hand, it means his guys get the first crack at the whining, the dining, and the dancing. My guys have to wait. Now, if it goes the other way, my guys get first crack. If it's in the middle, it's 50-50. This was originally done squatting. Now we do it standing, so the fingers are below the wrist instead of above. But essentially, we have the same position. So that's why when the hands lock, if his hand is slightly on top, it doesn't have to be right on top, just a little bit. I'll get a feeling at a gut level, and we think this is hardwired because you've never been trained to decode this. I'll get a feeling he's coming on a bit heavy. And he feels like, yeah, I think I can dominate here. If it goes the other way, I feel like, yeah, I got, I got this sucker all lined up, haven't I, huh? <laughs> So how do you create rapport with a handshake? Here are the two rules. First, keep your hand absolutely straight. Second, and this takes a bit of practice, particularly if you're a female, give the same pressure you receive. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 526 of this podcast. Today is Thursday, December 29th, 2022. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about inclement weather and canceled plans, actually, because my uh, third born son, Solomon Emmanuel Mullet, and I, we had been planning a trip to the Grand Canyon for his 13th birthday. He turns 13 years old tomorrow. We had been planning to go just father-son, like I have taken his older two brothers on a father-son trip, uh, just the two of us to go to the Grand Canyon. It was going to be super cool, and we were very excited about it. And then this big bunch of winter weather came a-rolling in, and I initially, at the beginning of the week, Monday, I was making some hotel reservations along the way. We were planning on stopping off in Pueblo and then continuing on through Farmington to the Grand Canyon Village on the southern and eastern uh, edge of the Grand Canyon, staying in a hotel there and then trying to make our way back. Uh, hopefully all on Saturday, maybe possibly hitting up Cliff Palace on the way at Mesa Verde National Park. That was what the big idea was. That was the plan. And then Lauren sent me a news report from this uh, kind of independent uh, meteorologist who's on Facebook, who is very accurate in his predictions typically of as much as 14 inches of snow around the Durango, Colorado area. And that was the route we were going to take, not wanting to go through the mountains already with the weather we've had in recent weeks. There's 
troublesome reports on the Colorado Road Reports website of ice and packed snow. And I just thought, that's not where we want to go. We don't want to take the short route because it won't be the short route if (laughs) there's bad weather up in the mountains. We'll just go the long way through Colorado Springs and Pueblo down around to Pagosa Springs and then Durango and on. But 14.6 inches uh, that's that's too much. That's just not going to be feasible. It's not a question of toughness or courage. It's a question of wisdom at that point. And you just say, hey, let's uh, let's let's postpone. Let's cancel for now. But we'll go later in the spring after the first of the year sometime when it looks like we've got better weather to reckon with. But, you know, that got me thinking, uh, you know, for one, uh, with the phrase that you sometimes will see on signs in shop windows or businesses will put it on their website uh, or their Facebook page anymore. Or maybe Google will say closed due to whatever the reason is. When the weather is the reason, the phrase that's used often is due to inclement weather. And what does that word even mean? What you know? How many of us use the word inclement in any other context to where we would know more broadly what it means. So I, I looked it up and according to Oxford languages, the word inclement just means unpleasantly cold or wet. So inclement is just unpleasantly cold or wet. And so it's actually you know, maybe more of a mild term. Uh, but then according to Merriam-Webster, it means severe in an archaic sense, severe in temper or action, unmerciful. Uh, Another definition is physically severe, as in stormy, and that is the one that pertains specifically to weather. And the overarching definition, according to Merriam-Webster, is lacking mildness. So it seems to me as though it's a rather mild way to put it. You know, if if you have a a major, major winter storm, it's going to drop 14 and a half inches uh, of uh, snow you know, that's, that's pretty extreme. But then if you were to say, instead of saying inclement, uh, you know, uh, lacking mildness, this, this weather lacks mildness. Uh, that's a rather understated way to put it in my book anyways, but nevertheless, we will do something fun for Solomon's birthday. I am thinking we will hit up Bojo's pizza in Fort Collins. Lauren and I had some Bojo's in Idaho Springs when we got away, uh, last time we got away, just the two of us, plus Andrew, are uh, now 11 month old, but he was much younger then, towards the beginning of 2022. And Bojo's apparently, and I've never seen this from any other restaurant or pizza place for sure, uh, they offer, get this, uh, air delivery of their pizzas. And what that speaks to in my mind is there are people who come to Idaho Springs or that area uh, and they really, really like this pizza. And maybe they winter here. Maybe they come for holidays. Maybe they've got a cabin, an extra house, uh, a summer home in the mountains. And they come visit it from the coast, from New York City, from uh, you know Los Angeles or Chicago or something like that, one of these big cities. And maybe they love the pizza so much that they actually will order the pizza and have it flown to them because they're not going to be able to make it. They're too busy. 
you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people actually order pizza and have it flown to them, but that's some like Tony Stark level uh, quality that you're <laughs> trying to communicate you have. But to be fair, I mean, to, to be entirely fair, the pizza was delicious. It was fantastic. Really, really good pizza. And so Saul and I, just the two of us, we'll go and get some of that Bojo's pizza for his birthday tomorrow. That's the plan. Knock on wood. We don't cancel that even going to Fort Collins uh, due to the weather. But then from there, who knows? We'll, we'll see maybe if he wants to go see a movie or if he would prefer uh, you know, something else. We'll, we'll kind of play it by ear and see what his uh, preference is with it being his birthday and all. But speaking of seeing a movie, Joel Abbott over at Not The Bee wrote a surprising uh, review of the new Avatar film, James Cameron's latest. He's been working on it for a dozen years, I think, at this point, and much anticipated because of how much attention is being put into it. Uh, also, Cameron has been making a stir, as I've talked about in recent episodes, with some very controversial uh, sentiments regarding testosterone, seeing it as a toxin to be purged from the body. Men have this toxin in their bodies that they need to get rid of, and it is testosterone. Uh, that's just that's just folly. That's just absurd that you would regard testosterone as a toxin. Something's wrong with society, with our culture. Our culture is sick. Our relationships are sick. If we start seeing masculinity, the hormone even that goes into masculinity, it's a God-given hormone. If we start seeing that as a toxin to try and purge or tamp down, and there's, you know, rather than trying to purge testosterone. How do we purge that sentiment? That, that's what I want to know. I think the idea of testosterone being a toxin is itself the toxic masculinity we need to be on guard for. But nevertheless, all the more rather than less, uh, because of Cameron's statements here lately about uh, you know essentially toxic masculinity as he sees it, having to do with testosterone, Joel Abbott over at Not The Bee wrote this review. And it, the title of it, yeah, as is often the case with Not The Bee and their posts, is, I watched the new Avatar film with my wife last night. It is the best depiction of fatherhood, marriage, and family that I've seen from Hollywood in years. And I won't delve into the entire thing. Maybe we go and see it, and then I'll tell you more about the movie. I don't want to just tell you what Joel Abbott said. You can go read his whole uh, write-up for yourself if you want to. But, uh, you know, just a couple of highlights he points out that there is this disagreement at one point between the main character uh, who is, you know, the, the man or the male, I guess you could say, if they're blue aliens at this point, and his wife. And they have children now at this point because he renounced his humanity and he embraced being this giant blue alien instead. But they are married and they have children and they have a disagreement at a certain point in which it gets a little bit heated and the kids are kind of just outside the tent listening to mom and dad argue. And then he stands his ground and says, no, it's my, you know, it's my job. It's my job to protect our children and to correct them and to discipline them. And essentially, you know, as it has been relayed by Joel Abbott, you need to respect my being the father here and being the head of the family. And then wouldn't you know it, 
surprise of all surprises. She says, okay. And then she submits to his headship, his authority, his leadership as the husband, as the father. And she's a strong female character. He's a strong male character. And she's in no way diminished by that. And the children actually are for the better for it. And so this idea, right, this idea that this whole film is following this family as they're trying to navigate what's happening with their world, it, it, that, is, that is very surprising. All the more surprising if <laughs> James Cameron does not regard testosterone itself as being a good thing, a beneficial thing for men to have. But I look at this and I think to myself, you know, we, we need more of that. We need more good depictions of fatherhood and marriage and family. And, uh, it, you know, it might not be saying quite so much about James Cameron and how great his uh, view of these things is uh, these days. This might be more of an indictment on what other Hollywood fare has been, uh, you know, exposing us to and, and making us suffer through for so long that this would be the best example and it comes from a guy who does not think highly of masculinity in general. You know, maybe I wait and I say more uh, after I've seen the full movie. That would probably be for the best. Uh, what is it that Proverbs says about someone answering a matter before he has heard it? It is to his folly and to his shame. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a bad idea. You need to hear what is being said before you respond to it. Otherwise, you're liable to get dismissed and, and look like an idiot. So I don't want to do that. But just speculating on the front end, I do wonder, uh, you know, why, if he sees testosterone the way that he does, he would be able to produce a film that nevertheless presents fatherhood and being a husband and being protective distinctly and especially and having authority in the home and in the family, why he would see that in a positive light. Uh, it just, it's curious what, what may be driving that. I want to find out. Speaking of movies and, uh, <laughs> entertainment and, uh, Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. Amanda Harding over at the daily wire has a report from December 22nd. So this is a, a week old at this point. Judge rules universal can be sued for allegedly misleading movie trailer after fans notice Anna de Armas was cut from yesterday. And uh, this is, it's more for my amusement that fans of Anna de Armas would be so upset that they would sue the uh, <laughs> studio. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I can't imagine caring that much that I would file a lawsuit, uh, but it is, it's curious. These fans did care that much. They were that upset because they watched the trailer and they thought, I guess some of them, Anna de Armas, she's one of my favorite actresses. She's going to be in this movie. I'm going to go see this movie. And then they watch the movie and she's not in it. And, uh, you know, they're like, hey, that's false advertising, right? And with something that we're going to talk about here in a bit, on a more serious note, it's all the more ironic that the judge in this case says, yes, you guys can file a lawsuit against Universal for damages. You know, you, you can file a lawsuit against them because this is misleading and dishonest and deceptive and, and all the rest. But, uh, you know, taking a step back from Hollywood, let's talk about 
This video that my neighbor two houses down, JP Chavez, sent to my friend, our friend, Roy Garcia, and myself. Uh, huge glory cloud, Bethel Church, November 13th, 2011. And you won't be able to see it with just the audio, but I'll tell you, I'll describe it for you, and then you can imagine. Basically, the setup here is a whole bunch of glitter was put in the HVAC uh, vents at Bethel Church. And this Bethel Church, they have a reputation for being Pentecostal, charismatic, seeker-friendly, uh, you know, putting a lot of effort and attention into their uh, way of marketing themselves or the kind of spectacle that they treat people to. And this is no exception. This is you know, taking it to the extreme, in my view, that they would fill the HVAC system with glitter and then have it blowing out in the midst of praise and worship or what have you, so as to look like the glory of God descending from the ceiling. And, uh, you know, I suppose if, if some churches do the fog machine thing, which is also gross and weird, uh, if some churches do the fog machine thing during praise and worship or a light show, uh, you know, laser light show, well then, I guess blowing glitter out your ductwork is fair. Uh, cleanup would be a lot more difficult, but listen to the reaction at Bethel Church. There's Here's the audio of the reaction as this stuff is raining down from the ceiling. Don't do that. Stop it. Don't don't do that. Perhaps the saddest thing is not the cheering, but the comments from some of the people, including but not limited to the guy who posted this to YouTube, actually believing that this is from God, that this is of God. Uh, here's a little paragraph from his uh, description of the video. Quote, I saw this happen with my own eyes, and I will go to my grave fully believing what I saw. There was no way anyone could have done this or make it happen because I would have seen them do it. So that is to say, uh, this is God, right? God caused the glitter to come out of your HVAC system and rain down. And, you know, and I don't want to be rude, and I don't want to be uh, hurtful here, but... This, this, this is fraudulent. This is a hoax. This is you being manipulated. This is you being played. And this is the trouble with being led around by our emotions that if we associate having an emotional high with the presence of God, with God being pleased with us, 
people will manipulate that. And people who don't believe in God or they don't fear God or in their own minds, they themselves are deceived that they have to help you feel that and keep that feeling high because that's what the Christian life is uh, fueled by and, and runs off of. People will manipulate that, whether they think they're doing so from good motives or they're just using you or they're just trying to get something from you. Be very careful because this can take a lot of forms. This is the most egregious and extreme form I've ever seen, uh, the most absurd form I've ever seen. But be very careful in all its forms when it comes to this way of relating to God and doing church and living the Christian life. This is not what God is looking for. I'm convinced of that. Reading the Bible, I am convinced that this is not what he wants. And what he really wants is uh, faithfulness and obedience. That's what he wants. But there's no command with regards to making glitter come down from the ceiling. So you can't say that this is obedience. This is not what God commanded. And all the time and effort and intention put into the glitter uh, spectacle is not just a waste of time. You're doing that instead of uh, what you actually are called to. It's, it's not a vacuum where you can just fill it with whatever you want and say, God led me to that. No, no. Fear God, man. Fear God. In other news, taking a step back from glitter, maybe, uh, hopefully, Lego just released a set based on a gay television show. And I kid you not, they labeled one of the gay men a groomer. This uh, a post by Cardinal Pritchard over at Not The Bee. He says this is hilarious. I don't know if it is hilarious. Um, I'm not quite sure. But there's a Jonathan who is you know, pictured here on the box for the Lego set for, uh, I believe it's Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. There's a set, Lego set. And, you know, a Lego set of the set of the TV show, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. And Jonathan is wearing a t-shirt, you know, torso piece that says, love is love. And it's all hippie colors, you know, psychedelic rainbow colors. And he's got long hair and a beard and a big smile. And underneath Jonathan's name on the box is in smaller letters, grooming. Is this poking fun at concerned parents who don't want their children being indoctrinated in gender theory, being encouraged to change their pronouns and to change their gender and to be cross-dressers and lesbians and homosexuals of various kinds or bisexuals? Is this poking fun at parents who are concerned that that's ungodly and they're saying that this is grooming? Or is this kind of a wink and a nod and, you know, walking that fine line of ambiguity where you basically say, ah, yeah, yep. Groomer. They are groomers, right? I, I don't know. Uh, it, either way, this is gross. This is gross. I don't find this hilarious. I find it gross. This is not what I want done with my favorite childhood toy, which was Legos. Uh, this is not my idea of good humor. I just, I find it highly uncomfortable and highly unfortunate. Speaking of, though, speaking of, May Reed Elordi at the Daily Wire reports federal judge says school hiding kids' gender transitions doesn't shock the conscience. Throws out parent lawsuit. And what was I just saying? 
a minute ago about Universal Studios being sued because they had Ana de Armas, this Cuban actress, beautiful young actress. Uh, she was in the trailer for the movie yesterday, but not in the actual movie. They cut her from the actual movie. So fans of the beautiful actress can sue Universal Studios for misleading them, for false advertising, but parents can't sue their public school for hiding their child's gender transition. Uh, yeah, I mean, do, do I have that right? Do I, do I, <laughs> am I understanding this correctly? Fans of Ana de Armas have more standing when they buy a ticket to a movie and they don't see their favorite actress than parents do when they're upset about their child being groomed to be uh, transgendered. Okay. I just just wanted to make sure I had that right. Did I, did I hear that right? Are you, are you sure? Are you sure that you're sure? Okay. All right. Moving on. Speaking of education, uh, Klaus Schwab, I did a episode talking through his speech at the uh, G20, B20, Shindig in Indonesia for 2022. Uh, he's also been speaking other places as well for quite a long time. I mean, 50 years he's been at it, trying to push for a one world government. Uh, he's a bit of a megalomaniac, if you ask me. Uh, not the B, Harris Rigby at Not the B has a post here. Old Klaus Schwab of the WEF is going viral for a clip where he talks about revolutionizing education like a freaking Bond villain. And uh, I'll play the clip for you, and then we'll talk about it. We put emphasis on what I said before, public-private partnerships, which we accompany. So when we define a, a project like our global educational initiative, I, I just describe it in a, in, a, in a second, we have under the leadership of Cisco and many other companies, practically all the big names, we, we try to revolutionize the educational system of uh, Jordan, Egypt, um, and now Burundi, um, by working together with the local uh, authorities. Um, we work also together with UNESCO, not only to equip the schools, but to put uh, to retrain the teachers, to put the new curriculum into, uh, curricula into place. So we work together with the, we accompany those companies. Uh, we, we do not, that's a, that's a difference to the Clinton Initiative, which mainly, um, um, and which is a good thing, which asks companies to pledge some money to make a commitment and some to come back and to report. Uh, we are with the initiative or from the beginning uh, to the end. I feel much the same way about this clip of Klaus Schwab as I do the clip from Bethel Church and the glitter raining down from the ceiling. That is to say, this is what comes of letting your emotions uh, 
be what guide you. You know, let your heart be your guide, like Disney said for so long for so many of our childhoods. This nonsense is part of what uh, is the cause of that, and then also is partly a result of that, that we would trust in our hearts, that we would not guard our hearts, uh, but that we would do what feels good and that we would embrace what feels good. And Klaus Schwab of the WEF, uh, he is the last person that I want educating my children or teaching my children right from wrong, much less the last person I want pushing for a global re-education of teachers, a control over the curriculum through, as he puts it, public-private partnerships. And you know that clip that I played uh, about a month ago, actually, November 25th, my wife's and my 16th anniversary, wedding anniversary, you know, that clip, he also talked about public-private partnerships. And even just the fact that it's a G20, B20 conference. The G stands for government. The B stands for business. It's a meeting of the leading world's economies from a governmental standpoint and also the biggest corporations in the world. And between the two, their powers combined, they become Captain Planet and then they tell you what's what. They tell you what it's going to be and what you will think and feel and have and say and do. But so also, I mean, (laughs) uh, I, I look at this and I think to myself, you are wanting to tell my children all of the above. And you know that taking control of education at a global level is how to do that. Where does Klaus Schwab have any standing whatsoever with regards to what my children or your children would learn in school? For that matter, whatever government uh, coalition he is able to form or put together, uh, they don't have standing in my children being groomed to believe that the sky is falling, climate change uh, justifies global communism, or we need to decrease Earth's population. And so if you've got these urges, channel them in the direction of people of your own gender, right? Uh, Get an abortion if something happens otherwise, but let's not be having babies, right? You, you, You can't be having babies. I don't want Klaus Schwab and Al Gore and the WEF and the G20 and the B20 telling my kids indirectly through manipulation of media and the education system and the curriculum what is good because they don't know. They, they don't know. But I'm concerned that for the same reason we have churches in America that are into chasing a certain emotion and associating that with closeness to God, we also are vulnerable to that extent, to the extent that that's how we see our relationship with God and its health, and we measure its health, the healthiness of our relationships. We are also that susceptible to this, and it's manipulation. It is seduction. It is straight from the pit of hell. It is ungodly. It is wicked. Don't affirm it. Don't get on board with it. Don't go along with it. Do not send your children off to be trained up by it. 
don't. Don't do it. Uh, if I haven't mentioned lately, I wrote a book, and this is why we homeschool. <laughs> you can definitely, definitely go and buy a copy. If you don't know where to find one, reach out to me. I will get you a copy. But it's funny. There's a C.J. Pearson who tweets out December 27th. They're finally saying the quiet part out loud in relation to you know, this Klaus Schwab clip. And then there's a Lynn Newman who replies to him. And her answer is also December 27th. To be honest, the home education community already knows. They've been saying this out loud for pretty much a decade now. It's a running battle. It, but, but that is to say, and you know, something else that I've been touching on here lately, if it's not a conspiracy theory when the truth comes out and it turns out to be the case that what you said was going on behind the scenes is actually what was going on behind the scenes. If it stops being a conspiracy theory then, well, then it, it never really was a conspiracy theory to begin with. It, it either is what it is and you just didn't believe it, or it never was that thing. And you were right. You were right to dismiss the folks who were saying, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned about what this all adds up to. If you don't pay attention and you ignore, but you're neglecting your responsibilities and the result is disastrous, and not from a material standpoint, first and foremost, but from a spiritual standpoint, uh, a, a spiritual standpoint, first and foremost, if you ignore and neglect and downplay and minimize and justify passivity and silence and acquiescence and affirmation just to be able to buy, sell, and trade, well, then you are ripe for joining the Antichrist in his war against the Lamb and his saints. You are ripe for that. And I warn you for your sake, for the sake of your soul and your children's souls, for the sake of those who are in your sphere, don't do that. Don't do that. Be aware. Don't be anxious, right? Because that's the other angle that we sometimes uh, take in ignoring these things or uh, avoiding them or changing the subject right away. While that you know, that causes me to feel anxiety and I'm not supposed to feel anxiety, so I'm going to head that emotion off at the pass and just not talk about things that are upsetting and troubling and voila, and now I'm being anxious for nothing. But that that's not correct either, right? That's not what we're called to. You can't just avoid problems. Avoidance is a dysfunctional coping mechanism and that is not... That is not what God calls us to in Christ Jesus when other people's wickedness and folly is being presented to our children, especially to we ourselves, especially as something to embrace, affirm, validate, and emulate. Not for no reason have Christians throughout the last 2000 years been persecuted and martyred in every place at some point. Not for no reason. It wasn't because they were passive. It wasn't because they were quiet. It wasn't because they were silent. It wasn't because they affirmed the ungodliness. It was because they rebuked it and they called it for, for what it was. They called it wickedness. They called it sin. They called for repentance of it. And that's what we also have to do with regards to this stuff. At a minimum, get your kids out. But more than that, encourage others to get their kids out before it's too late. Speaking of getting out and uh, going somewhere else, <laughs> Florida, according to census data, 
Florida was the fastest growing state this year with historic population gains. And I didn't realize this, but Florida was already one of the most populous states in the country, uh, as it was. It was the number three most populous state in the U.S. And when I say, quoting the Daily Wire News, that Florida's population increased by 1.9% between 2021 and 2022. And that that's huge, right? It's it's not like Montana, my home state, where you know, increasing by 2% would be you know, 20,000 people, right? 20,000 people uh that that's what it would be for the state of Montana. 2%, 1.9% for a population of 22 million. Uh, that's that's quite a lot, actually. You know, somebody correct my math here if I'm wrong, but I think that's between 400 and 500 thousand people. So that, that's that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. The Daily Wire continues here. Earlier this year, a report found that more than 600 thousand people fled New York and California for lower taxed states during the pandemic. The population figures show people voting with their feet for the quality of life they perceive in the Sunshine State and represent another achievement for Governor Ron DeSantis on top of his re-election during this year's election cycle. Uh, Meanwhile, liberal states that closed their schools saw drops of up to 9% in the number of fourth graders proficient in reading, while Florida was one of the four states whose reading scores actually increased during the pandemic. And go figure, you know, if you're going to be home, maybe, or not shut everything down, or maybe you do more reading, right? If you're not going out in public all the time like you were, if if you're not stressing people out and uh, stressing them out too much to where they don't even want to read, then you know you you actually probably will see an increase in literacy as people are turning more to books while they're staying home. But in other news, let's get out of the United States here a bit. Uh, John MacGlion over at the Epoch Times, he's got a piece. As this Latin American country falls apart, China looks on anxiously. This is a story about Peru. And I didn't realize this, but Peru is one of the countries that China has been investing in, if you want to put it that way. Uh, you could also say colonizing in some sense. Bribes, kickbacks, uh, money poured into the country one way or the other. And Peru's government is destabilized not doing so great. And that is concerning to, worrisome to China. Peru is a member of China's infamous Belt and Road Initiative, BRI, since 2019. And I quote from the article, Peru has witnessed a string of multi-billion dollar investments from China, mostly in the mining and energy sectors. In Peru's mining sector alone, it is estimated that Chinese firms have invested at least $10.4 billion. And so, Essentially, you have China trying to colonize countries like Peru when those countries start to decide that uh, maybe they don't like their government so much anymore. Well, that upsetting of the status quo might mean that on the other side, the new government that is formed in that country doesn't look the other way when China is trying to extract resources or set up shop or uh, what have you. And, you know, this is the thing to pay attention to with the Klaus Schwab's and 
the uh, Bill Gates and <laughs> the uh, uh, you know Al Gore's when they are pushing for globalism and when the kind of globalism they're describing to combat climate change and inequity and inequality actually is just communism by another name. China is that 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 is the sleeping tiger. That China is the sleeping tiger that when it decides that it's hungry and it's got you cornered in this and that and the other thing, China is not the country you want running the world, ruling the world. You know, they just recently decided that they were going to open their borders, even as they are having millions and millions and millions of their people coming down with COVID again. They're having a, a big resurgence of COVID, supposedly, but they're going to open their borders. And that's an incredibly irresponsible thing to do unless you have a certain set of morals that say your people have to come out on top. Your people have to be proven correct as the most wise, most glorious people in the whole world. And if your country is having a resurgence and the rest of the world is kind of getting over it right now, well, how do you fix that? Well, you level the playing field. Perhaps if you can't just stop the spread in your own country, you level the playing field by unleashing it on everybody else again. And hopefully it, it just cancels out. And then you're, you're staying, you're maintaining your advantage and your lead. Very, very concerning. But, you know, coming back to the U.S. again, the response from the Biden administration, surprisingly and hypocritically, actually, uh, according to reporting by Ryan Saavedra over at the Daily Wire, is that they are going to reinstate testing requirements, COVID testing requirements for travelers coming to the U.S. from China. Now, why this is hypocritical is that when Joe Biden was running for president back in 2020, he criticized former president, then president Donald J. Trump for closing the borders from China. And basically saying, this is coming from China and therefore we're going to quarantine China because otherwise we're going to get it. Somehow that decision by Donald Trump was, and I quote Joe Biden's tweet here, reshared from Stephen L. Miller's account, stop the xenophobic fear-mongering, be honest, take responsibility, do your job. Oh, no, no, no. Don't, don't make this about China being where the virus is coming from. No, no. Make this about Trump somehow being to blame. Right, okay. Fast forward two years two and a half years. And now we're going to go back to basically what Trump was doing because Trump was right. And even though it was racist and somehow blame shifting and irresponsible when Trump ordered it, now when Joe Biden's administration, when the US government with Joe Biden in the White House does it, it is responsible, forward thinking, circumspect, you know, of course, of course course, we're going to do testing. Uh, it, it, I need not you know, gild the lily any further, but this is partiality. Uh, for some people who just roll their eyes and they say, well, yeah, that's politics. No, but this, this is wicked though. It, it, this is partiality. It is unequal weights and measures. God detests this hypocrisy. 
the strongest rebukes that Jesus gave in the Gospels were for hypocrites who play acted. That's literally what hypocrite means, is play acting. You're pretending at having certain standards and certain morals only so you can hold other people to those. This is Machiavellian. This is godless. And it's not just politics as usual. It's ungodly. It's wicked. It needs to be repented of. Will it be? Well, probably not. And then comes the judgment. But nevertheless, we should still not just shrug and say, ah, yeah, that's that's what it is. You know, that's just politics for you. No, no. This is why Christians have to pay attention and uh, really you know, be thinking of their testimony more broadly than they have been in America for decades. Uh, too many of us, not all, but too many of us, we've been thinking very narrowly about our testimony, more concerned with trivial things and cliches and truisms, not enough concerned with being the man, the blessed man from Psalm 1. But what does it say, right? What does it say? It should be a comfort to us if we do meditate on his law day and night. We will prosper in everything that we do. Everything. God will bless it. Also, too, it just so happens that when you make wise choices, you get benefits. <laughs> like wise decisions lead to beneficial outcomes, prosperity, uh, security. Foolish decisions typically lead to destruction, injury, death, embarrassment. Uh, I don't know which is worse, <laughs> but you you will get all of the above if you're not. If you are wicked, if you scoff, if you allow sinners to entice you, if you affirm and look the other way, you will get all of the above, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that's the encouragement. That's the grace is it doesn't have to be that way. You have the opportunity to meditate on God's law day and night and to delight in it and to trust God that he knows and that he wants good things for you in the grand scheme of things. Now, the health and wealth folks, the prosperity theology folks, they get it twisted and they get impatient and they get very short-sighted because they think what that has to mean is right now, in every instant. And if it's not, well, then I messed up. If it's not, and I don't feel like it is, well, then I must not be close to God. And so I got to chase that feeling. I've got to chase that emotional high or else opt out entirely. You know, find something else, find whatever else will make me happy. And then that's living my truth if I'm feeling good. But when it says that God works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that doesn't necessarily mean the time frame that we might imagine or want, but it will mean a much better timeline because God's timing is perfect. His ways are inscrutable and he always keeps his promises. So if he says he works all things to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that means all eventually. Be patient. Consider it pure joy, James says, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Consider it pure joy. Not if you face trials of many kinds. When? Because you will. 
see the opportunity there. Look for it. Lean into it. You know, even with regards to this whole winter storm business, our plans are canceled now to go to the Grand Canyon. And that's unfortunate. But there's two ways to respond. We could say, ah, oh, it's just awful. It's just the worst. Why does this always happen to me? Like the Weird Al song. Why does this always happen to me? And we could stew in that. We could grumble. We could complain. Or we could say, there must be some better thing that God has for us to be doing this weekend. (laughs) He must have a good purpose. Maybe he's protecting us. Maybe he wants to bless us somewhere else. And we should be expectant of that fact. Actually, because it's a promise if we love him and are called according to his purpose. If we don't love God, and if we're not called according to his purpose, well, then that actually, that's where our concern should be much more than, you know, this or that particular thing that's inconvenient. No, no, no. The the big picture is seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you don't, well, then what does it profit a man? to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. Not much, not at all. But switching gears, and I want to talk here a little bit about something more fun, a little lighter, a little more close to home before I go, before I call it a wrap on this episode. My sons and I here eh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half, I don't know. I know it was 2021. And I need to remember that this is the end of 2022, almost 2023. But we started playing this game together also with my friend and pastor, Paul Pavlik, and his sons called Valheim. And this game, Valheim, is this kind of open world survival game where you play a Viking warrior who has died and you've been taken to the Viking afterlife. And now... You live in this Viking afterlife, fighting monsters and uh, building and questing and, and, you know, essentially living it up, right? You're you're a a Viking uh, who has passed on to the next life. This is kind of like Viking heaven in some sense. And as such, uh, you know, the the graphics are not top-notch. The lighting effects are really great. But the graphics generally, the textures are generally not the best of the best of the best. And yet, it is an incredibly fun game. Like what they did, it works really, really well. The music is fun and relaxing and calming. And there's interesting things to do and explore. And the crafting mechanics are fun. There's enough things that you can build and ways that you can build your base and your fortifications and your defenses and craft items and acquire materials and go questing together, building boats and going out onto the waters and then getting attacked by sea serpents. You know, there's enough things to do that, I mean, it just, it, it is a blast to play with your friends and family. And so we played, and actually initially when we played, we had a dedicated server that Paul had set up that was being used for other things and occasionally getting shut off or, you know, it was, it was difficult to use, right? It was difficult to use and to keep up and running and to maintain. And so I think that was the biggest thing is that we just, we stopped playing because it wasn't 
available uh, readily. And then here recently, very recently, my boys and I, we got to talking about, you know, I really miss Valheim. That, that was a lot of fun playing that together. And we've got several computers, one of which we just built. The new, I mean, that was probably part of why we started talking about, you know what we could do? <laughs> we could jump back into Valheim and all five of us could play at the same time together and work together to get things accomplished. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that would be cool. And so my sons set up a dedicated server on one of our machines and we have all of our characters still from when we were playing before, along with whatever stuff they were carrying now in this new server, starting over, starting fresh, building a new base from scratch, exploring a new world that's randomly generated every time, seeing where things are at, trying to map them out, trying to get the lay of the land, trying to harvest resources, trying to rebuild our operations. And we played for maybe three or four hours last night. And that might surprise some where they would say, man, three or four hours, that's a long time. Are you sure that's good? I mean, you know, like, <laughs> yes, actually I am. I am sure. And I'll explain, you know, I, I did an episode back when we were initially playing where I talked about the game and how fun it was. And I think this is part of how you know when a game is good, if it still is interesting and fun when you haven't played it at all for, what, a year, year and a half, two years at this point almost, probably. And you pick it back up again and you're like, man, like Daniel said, he's like, man, this just this feels right. This feels so good. It's so fun. And it was snowing outside too, which just completed the experience. And... I'll tell you, part of why I know that it was good, not just that we felt good, right? Because what was I just saying about chasing emotions and feelings and all that? No, no. I know that it was good for us to be playing this thing together, and we will keep on, I hope, continuing to play it together through the New Year's uh, Eve and New Year's Day holiday. We'll stay up late, not watching Times Square, but we'll build a Viking castle in Valheim. <laughs> I know that it's good because as my wife and I were discussing quietly in my office, as I was playing with the boys in here and then Josiah's on her computer in her sewing room. And then the three other boys down, Eli, Saul, Dan were playing on the main floor on the three computers down there. She says, do you hear them fighting? Have you heard them bickering at all? I said, no, no I haven't. She says, Hmm. It's pretty nice. Yeah. She's like, do you hear them like thinking through their plans of how they're going to do this or that and work together? Do you, do you hear them coordinating their efforts and Josiah telling them, Hey guys, let's do this. And Hey, watch out for that. And all right, I want you to go there and you go there and I'll go here. Do you hear that? And they're actually listening, even though he's their older brother. And who are you to tell us what to do? I said, yeah, yeah, I do hear that. <laughs> you know, meanwhile, uh, and I'll just, I'll, I'll take a small detour here to explain how I like to play the game because I don't play it quite the same way that my sons do. I love the base building in this game. I love it. If they build on that and expand that out and make more of the same, I, I just think that's fantastic. Like, let's, let's do, right? Let's do more of the same. 
But the base building is relaxing. It's calming. Also, it gives me a chance to kind of listen and hear how they're playing the game. And if I hear something where I'm like, I've got an idea for how you could do that or watch out for this, or, hey guys, I need such and such. Can you go out? I give them some target and focus to help them organize their experience. And that also too, I mean, not just them learning to work together, like in sports, you know, playing a team sport, not just them learning to work together and get along and not bicker is good. Also, I think me building a base and them seeing the value of that being built from the ground up in something more like time-lapse than everyday life necessarily always feels like. Them seeing the correlation between work, effort, harvesting, and putting things together in an intentional way on the one hand, and them being able to go out and conquer the world effectively from that base of operation, having someplace safe to come back to when they need to you know, repair their tools and their weapons and their armor or craft better of the same or upgrade what they have when they need to cook their food and take it out with them so they stay healthy. <laughs> you know, I, all of the above, I, I just think, I think that's really solid and beneficial if it feels good while you're getting those benefits and developing some practical interpersonal skills, communication skills, teamwork uh, mentality, well, great, right? Great. That's not a problem. The, the point is not to feel bad. The point is just not to be trying to feel good at any cost because the big picture is we've been given a life to live and we are made for a relationship with God first and foremost and secondarily with our neighbor who is also made in his image like we are, how we treat one another, how we work together, how we love one another, how we give honor to one another, how we help and encourage and build one another up is a huge part of how we love God. And so I think, this is just me here, but I think that a game like Valheim can be a great little laboratory for trying out ways of working together that are more beneficial, that are more God-honoring. And in, you know, in my house, I've got all these sons, right? I've got all these sons. I have a Viking's dream in terms of having seven sons and one beautiful daughter, Evelyn Grace. I have seven sons. So not just as a man in the abstract, but as a Christian, I want my sons to ditch the Cameron <laughs> mentality that testosterone is a toxin. I want them to embrace the idea that a husband and a father should provide and protect and be strong and be courageous, be very strong and very courageous and trust in God and be the man from Psalm 1, delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, being just, opening his mouth for the destitute, the poor, the oppressed, the needy, those whose rights are being taken away or violated or trampled on. I want them to be able to have courage. And if they get courage, I think this is actually, you know, in a, in a way, maybe not how many Christians in the American church have come to think of encouragement, but I think this is actually a way of building courage in young men. 
that they would play, well, football, for instance, more conventionally, but also too a Viking survival game with their dad and their brothers. Why not? Why not? You know, there's lots of updates here uh, lately. A big one called the Mistlands update was just uh, released, I think, December 6th. But very, very popular game. Overwhelmingly positive reviews of the game. As simple as it is, from a visual standpoint in some regards, it is very fun and rich. And you got to think about it. And it's also, depending on what you're doing, like if you're doing what I'm doing, building bases, very relaxing, actually. I'm just running around chopping wood, and I've got my pickaxe, and I'm digging a moat or breaking up rocks so I can use the stone to build walls and a floor and arches, you know, organizing things. I enjoy organization, so... They keep bringing stuff back, and I keep trying to figure out better and better ways to organize all this and fit it into the base, make it work. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. But I got to run. That's all the time I've got for this episode. I think tomorrow I'll probably be talking again about some issues surrounding the end of the year. Uh, Hopefully, Lord willing, I record a podcast episode on New Year's Eve, and that will be still more reflecting on the year behind us. But for now, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. been listening to the garrett ashley mullet show on anchor fm for more content like what you just heard subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts or spotify also check out the garrett to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published as always you can reach me with any comments questions complaints objections or insights at garrett ashley mullet at protonmail.com